Hi, and welcome to Practical Reliability. I'm George Williams, CEO of Reliability X, and your host today. Today, we are talking to Michael Guns Jr. Now, Michael is an expert in Maximo and work execution topics. He's got YouTube videos out there. He's very active uh, in the in the reliability community, and I'm really excited to have him as a returning guest. We spoke to him uh, last at IMC uh, 2021. So, welcome, Michael. Thanks a lot, George. Great to be here. Uh, it's great to talk to you. I know you're extremely active in this community, and that activity is just growing and growing, and that's that's really good. I think uh, for the folks that like to give back and help educate the next generation, it's really important, particularly today when resources are scarce to come by. So um, talk to me a little bit about some of the activity you have going on. Yeah, so the... Um the video thing just kind of happened about because there's not a lot of content out there that's really, uh, you know, user-friendly and uh, open for everybody to kind of get to. A lot of it's centered around most of the the ways that um, different uh, providers of services actually use it. Um, whereas if you get down to the the end user themselves and how they use the programs and perceive the programs and develop processes around it, there's really not much around that topic. So um, that's what kind of prompted me to do that. And well, then, you know, just being involved in the reliability community at large is is really awesome because we, we get to, to share ideas and try to figure out ways to get, you know, our work execution or our, our maintenance strategies or anything that involves employees really uh, working really robustly and helping overall for like businesses and products and stuff like that. I, I have found this industry to be incredibly open in terms of sharing knowledge and being able to reach out and network with folks. Uh, and it's, it's great to have you as part of that community. And, uh, I'm really proud of, of the community that's out there from an asset management maintenance and reliability perspective. It, it really is an open environment, huh? Yeah, it's, it's pretty, uh, it's pretty cool that you can basically talk to anybody and it's just an open book. Um, you know, everybody's worked together to try and, you know, get those ideas out in the open so that we all have access to it which is really what it comes down to. I mean, you know, helping each other is more or less the, the crux of everything. Um, I know everybody's out there to make money too, but, you know, having that kind of community basis and that camaraderie with everyone's awesome. And it, it's, it's just been really welcoming. And, you know, that's why I'm so happy to try and get back to it because it's, you know, that's the kind of person that I am. Nice. Well, I love it. I think it's fantastic. And the community continues to have fantastic people like yourself and it's great that you're part of that community so uh, i know so, so some of the videos that i've seen they were on uh, work execution walk me through why work execution is a topic uh, at heart for you um and, and what some of the, the things we can kind of you know lend a hand to other folks so they can understand it better uh, a lot of it's based on you don't know what you don't know um so with uh my role at the University of Delaware, I had such uh, a, a kind of an ordeal trying to get people to understand like why it works the way that it does, why a work order comes in specifically, and then why it goes to reactive versus planned approach. You know, they didn't really understand that. 
Um, so as you kind of evolve it a little bit, and this goes for you know any work execution practice really, as you evolve it, you have to understand that it's a process map more or less. So you have decision-making abilities that have to go one way or another, and you have people who have roles and responsibilities in all of this as well. They have a piece to this that they have to be accountable for. So that's what kind of prompted me to, to create what I call a cradle to grave scenario. So basically when a work order or when work comes in, how it comes in, where it's directed, if it goes to a reactive or a planned approach, then when it goes to the mechanics, how they're going to do their part. And then when it's finally closed out, you know, getting all that information in the system, archiving it correctly, making sure the assets are assigned to it. Um, and then doing a kind of a feedback loop based on that to make sure that you're keeping the job plans current, you're keeping the PNs current, you're keeping the assets up to date on uptime and really creating some sort of a, a means for your reporting structures to support all that. So that's what the, the, the videos that I started putting out, that's what that basis was, was to get it so that you understood from the beginning to the end, because most end users don't really get the you know, ins and outs of it. They see what the programs are, but how that is related to, to them and how their input relates to that too. And that's always a challenge. I know, you know, when we've got quite a few clients that we help in, in these spaces and you tend to get the, the folks either are in trades where they're not asset intensive and they think none of this applies, right? So they don't have pumps and mechanical equipment. So, right. you know, whether they're finishing trades or, or something else, um, they uh, sometimes, but until they're educated, think that this doesn't really apply to them. And then you've got the folks that run, say, new electrical lines or new plumbing lines. Mm -hmm. And I think a planner can't plan that. Um, not that a planner can't talk to the technician and, and you know, find out how they want to run it. But they, <laughs> they're under the assumption that this is a waste of time because I have to go plan it anyway. And so, you know, bridging that gap and helping to educate folks and having a defined process uh, really is important. The other thing I really oh, yeah. liked about what you're talking about is the is the process map itself. The fact that it is a decision matrix that when work comes in, we have to have defined criteria on whether or not it will break into our schedule and become unplanned work, right? Uh, or unscheduled work. And you know, how do we manage that? I think the the reactive part of planning and scheduling, the managing of reactive work execution is something that's often not addressed in that process mapping exercise. So I think it's fantastic that you bring that up. Yeah, one of the key things to that was to get everybody to understand that, like, the, you're never, ever going to get rid of reactive work. Like, stuff breaks. It's going to happen. Um, whether it's age components or somebody did something wrong by putting things back together or whatever, something's going to happen where it's going to break. So to let everybody know that that's okay as long as you have that part of your strategy most people don't think of it that way they think of okay i just have to i have to find a way to stop it it's, you can try but it's not going to happen <laughs> yeah and it, you know and there's always a certain depending on the industry you're in right if you are mm -hmm. you know say say at a uh, an institution you've got a lot of customers that lock their keys and desks that well, yeah. come in and didn't wear a sweater or, you know, a thousand reasons why they pick up the phone and say it's an emergency. 
and reviewing what is and isn't an emergency and educating customers. All that is kind of part of reducing it. But like you say, I mean, it, you have to be able to manage it. You have to be able to account for it in your decision matrix and in how you plan and schedule. Uh, you know, how malleable does the planning and scheduling process have to be? Is it cookie cutter? Can we just apply it anywhere and that it works? The same map you've developed at one place just gets rolled out. Talk to me about how you address the nuances or maybe don't address any nuances, uh, you know, for um, different types of industries. I would have to say that it's not cookie cutter. Um, there are nuances that are probably very similar without uh, breaking things too much as far as like the business processes go. That's really what you have to look at to see where the planning and scheduling fits into the business process. Because, um, you know, uh, a plant that makes butter is going to be very different than a plant that makes uh, machine parts. So there's probably some things about it as far as planning and scheduling goes that you'll have to identify with either the, you know, the planned shutdowns or um, when they're actually in production versus not, you know, butter has a, a time sensitivity, whereas machine parts may not, et cetera. Um, you know, in a, in a university setting, it's very different because there's a whole nother gambit of things that you got to think about with research being done and, uh, you know, if the buildings are going to be occupied this week versus next week, et cetera. Um, so there's a lot of the, the process mapping that would be exactly the same throughout. And that will give you a good kind of um, starting point to look at. And then you can fine tune the other parts of that map to, or, you know, the processes along with it to find out, okay, it may not be that person's responsibility at this place, but over here, it's going to be that person's responsibility. Um, and it could be, uh, um, say, like the planner versus a scheduler, whereas in the university setting, it was a planner slash scheduler. That person was the same. So, you know, separating those two responsibilities could be different. But in general, like how the work comes in, too, is could be very, very different. So you have to align that as well so that the planning part gets aligned with the reactive part so that you're not missing out on something. Yeah. And then organizational size, there's lots of different factors mm -hmm. that kind of help drive how many roles you actually need or or positions you actually need to fill those roles. Now, mm -hmm. I, I also know you've got an affinity for Maximo. Um, talk to me about how, you know, is the map designed around the software? Is the software customized around the map? How does planning and scheduling integrate with the CMMS or EAM? Um, it was a, a basically an integration. So when Maximo can be implemented certain ways. Um, I'll go back to the university setting where they set it up originally as a finance style uh, EAM, where it really shouldn't have been that way. It should have been strictly just asset management and work execution stuff. Um, so getting that turned around is is kind of where this whole work execution thing came about to find out where the paths lie. So like taking some of the business processes that you're looking at, how you want it to actually work, that's where I think the the flow charts and the roadmap for that will start to make the CMMS do what it's supposed to do. Um, Maximo in general, 
like we had certain business processes that you want to look at. So we kind of tailored those to how the work's coming in. Um, we weren't using service request module yet. Uh, whereas now we're starting to gear that way because there are other things and other aspects outside of just the maintenance and operations things that we wanted to do and bring into Maximo as well, like custodial services and um, EHS services. So if your business aligns with that, like you're going to have to start filtering those things in so that you have a one-stop shop. Like that's what you want to look at. Yeah. Multiple different softwares. It's, you know, which one do I use today? Um, that kind of thing. So to gear it towards the actual business processes, I think the identifying that ahead of time with the work execution mapping, how planning and scheduling goes, and then how you're going to you know, complete that work, that will help the Maximo side of it, or even, you know, any other EAM, it'll help that kind of align how those processes are going to go so that you do get the functionality of the, the service requests or the workflows, um, how the billing is going to be done once the work is closed out. Is the work order completely closed first, or is it just in complete status? You know, those are the kind of things that you wouldn't necessarily know if you didn't follow the map. Yeah, no doubt. And I love the the use of the service, the self-service request module um, as non-maintenance. And, and mm -hmm. in my past, we've done that for a lot of things like uh, laboratory, you know, lab services, groundskeeping, all that stuff. You just don't ever create it as a work order. You just right. leave it as a service request and close it out that way. Um, so, you know, that doesn't really muddy the water in terms of bringing the data back out of the system because you have a segregation between the work order and the rest of the non-maintenance related activities. I also liked what you said originally when you said we inadvertently set it up as a financial asset management tool. Mm -hmm. <laughs> that actually happens often and people think there needs to be this one-to-one -one relationship <laughs> between the financial asset and what's inside their CMMS and that's not true at all right i mean right because you can buy a, a pump skid it's got one financial asset number but it's got you know calibrated instruments on it if it's di right and so you have a different exactly. level of assets that end up in your system than just the financial one plus you have the burden of finance you know wanting you to track the costs just to that specific number when in fact you have to cascade some of those costs um, and well, so it creates a, a complete gray area. And think about the failures too, because if you don't have that asset hierarchy and you know that say that pump skid, they're just looking at the pump skid itself. So they don't understand like there's five other parts that are along with that that may fail either prematurely or they weren't specified the same as the actual skid package itself. So that that's important. And if you don't understand that with that process then you know they're going to be thinking well i'll just buy another one when you know three of the parts still work and work well <laughs> yeah no doubt now in the um in the maximo space and the work management space one of the other important areas um is is the the status flow and yes. ensuring that for every work order as the maintenance manager, based on, you know, status and or crew and supervise, you know exactly whose phone to call. 
whether it's the storeroom, it's the planner, the scheduler, or the supervisor, you know whose phone to ring based on status and a couple of categorization fields. Um, but a lot of folks try to use these systems right out of the box. Talk to me about the importance of under of being able to separate status and flow when setting up the EAM. Yeah, a lot of alignment has to be done with that because, uh, like you said, you know, certain criteria where the maintenance manager is really going to know, okay, it's in progress. That means that my folks are working on it. Whereas if it's in waiting material, I need to go to the inventory control manager or you know, the buyer. And I say, could hear okay, everybody. I could hear everybody cringe that's listening that uses Maximo that has 10,000 right. work orders in progress right now. They, yep. they all just cringed because <laughs> they're not doing what they're supposed to be doing and putting that stuff back into waiting to be scheduled. Right. You, you know, it goes, it goes out in the field. It, it ends up in this black hole, right? Which is exactly why you need that status flow and to understand how to shift work orders around because you inevitably end up with, and it doesn't matter if it's Maximo or SAP and it says released yeah. or, or any other yep. EAM or CMMS system, there's inevitably this gigantic black hole of thousands of work orders that all say I'm being worked on, but they're not being worked on. Right, and they, they could be just sitting there dormant and not have any hours on them whatsoever, and if you don't have a way of managing that or looking for it, then you know they could stay open. And if you have say like a certain KPI that you aren't supposed to have, um, you know, work open for more than 120 days, say, and it just keeps accruing because you have it in that status versus actually putting it in the correct status where it belongs. And they just um, close them out, Michael. They, they, yeah, they just close right, them out, exactly. don't do the work, close them out. We, that that thing's always like, green. Hey, wait a minute, you right. closed that on my work order. <laughs> That never happens, Michael. No. <laughs> but then it gets back to the flows, too. Like, that process, that has to be ingrained in everybody's mind, you know, including the technicians. I have to put my work order in this specific status at this time because I'm working on it, or this specific status because I need materials. Or even if they're waiting approval to get into a, a space, say, um, the planners missed out on something and we have to put it back into a waiting approval status. That's the kind of things that, you know, allow those flows to happen. But if you put that into your EAM, Maximo, you know, as, as a good example, has that capability where if it sees a status turn a certain way, it has to go back to the, say, maintenance manager or the operations manager to, to decipher where it needs to go. And then the planner gets back involved to say, well, wait a minute, what happened? So that's a good feedback loop for them to say, okay, what did I miss? Or, you know, did, was there something that changed with the job plan that we didn't originally look at? That's, you know, scope creep and all that kind of thing works in, into that play and makes that status change a little weird. Yeah, no, no doubt. And I think, you touch on a whole bunch of things <laughs> as you talk. My <laughs> mind just goes pop, 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 pop. Yeah. But I, one of the one of the um, things you had brought up earlier that uh, I wanted to touch on, we hadn't yet, was the work that has to happen when the job is done from a planner mm -hmm. perspective. I think uh, oftentimes the planners become overwhelmed and they focus on you know a job plan and an estimate, and they're not even going out to get the parts ahead of time because they're so swamped with. Right. with just trying to do the first two things that we never actually gain the benefit of having all the parts ready. 
But then there's the whole other piece of, well, I've got to get the bill of materials, right? Because then it makes my job easier next time. And right. I've got to make sure I update the asset information because then it makes my job easier next time. And, you know, people tend to hire a planner out of the gate at these 15 to 1, 20 to 1, or God forbid, 40 to 1 ratios. Um, and it fails. And it, it, you know, it usually fails because they need a narrower scope until they get better at planning and until they do right. So how do you help control that or manage that? Or, um, you know, how do you talk to the audience about, you know, what's the right ratio or how do they figure that out um, so that they get the appropriate level of planning? That was, um, it was a good uh, analogy for us to look at the way that the work was done. And then, I constantly look at the reports, how the work's coming back in, um, what happens afterwards. So, you know, certain people have a certain um, area of expertise, say. Uh, electrical guy might not be as good with the structural stuff, but he could probably get away with being in HVAC because they have similar capabilities, that kind of thing. Um, the big thing is to make sure that your planner is appropriate for what they're actually planning. Um, the ideal situation would actually be to pull them from the actual workforce in the trade or the, the scope that they already do because they have a better assemblance as to what they can do. Um, but when it comes back to it, you know, how do you identify like what they can plan for, how many people they can plan for? Um, we used a lot of references from like, you know, the maintenance planning handbook and uh, uh, Ramesh's maintenance and reliability book. I mean, it, that those were kind of key components to what we did to identify, all right, you know, we found our sweet spot at 26. 26 people seems to be a good pace for everyone to go out and be able to have the feedback loop and support the work that's coming back in and making the job plans appropriate for what was done. Um, I, I have to admit there's a little bit of wiggle room there and there's a little bit of uh, kind of, um, you know, try it and see. Uh, but if you get down to it, you have to say, okay, I only have this much time in a day. I have to be able to get out to, you know, five or six jobs within a day to look at them. If you start doing the math, you know, that'll get you to the numbers that you need as far as like the one in 12, one in 26, however it works out, because it'll be time. Yeah, um, and, and if you can find time by, you know, bringing that information back from the work orders, that will give you the time later on, because now you won't have to worry about creating a new job plan. It'll be the same one or just an adjustment from the previous one that you did. Yeah, and they'll get better and better, and they'll be able to take on more and more technicians. And as you said, maybe they get to a point of twenty-six, and that may vary craft to craft, yeah. right? You know, if you're if you're planning for the painting department, you might be able to plan for the whole crew. But if you're planning mm -hmm. for the plumbing department in an environment like a university, where inevitably there's lots of emergency calls, um, it it you know you you're, you're a volume of that schedule is, is kind of swallowed up. Right. right. And so, um, you know, it's some of the bigger jobs too. those plant, those plumbing jobs are longer than, um, than hang a picture. Right. And if you have like, you know, major repairs that are underground or even in, you know, specific spaces that you can't get into, 
like it's going to make it so that it's a little bit longer or, you know, creep that scope further than what you thought before because you didn't know something was cracked downwind. Um, the other part is like aligning the planner's thought processes with that. You know, if you have regulatory things that have to get done, like you have to think about that too. And that, that may diminish the number of people that you can actually plan for because the regulatory stuff is specific. They can shut your building down if you don't get your fire alarm stuff done or your fire pumps maintenance properly. Um, if your generator is not run properly, you know, that kind of stuff will cause the authorities having jurisdiction to say, okay, your building's shut down for now until you fix those. Right. Yeah. Especially in an environment like that, right? I mean, there's not just, not just the public authorities in terms of the local municipalities, but you've got ALAC inspections, you've got fume hoods and ASHRAE testing, you've got just lots and lots of regulatory agencies um, overseeing what happens in those spaces. Right. Now, so you had also mentioned like, well, what if we're doing a dig and, and doing underground work? Mm -hmm. um, talk to me about how the planning uh, department interacts with contracted services and how do you get those costs back into a system through like service um, request versus uh, purchase, you know, purchase request. Yeah, that that's uh, I've seen it about maybe two or three different ways where, you know, you would the planner really focuses on, OK, I need a contractor for this because say maybe the scope is too large for the current workforce that you have. So obviously it's got to be supplemented, but you may still need to support that with your folks. Um, then the planner looks at, OK, I need you to give me a quote on this so that that quote can go into the you know, purchase requisition or, a, you know, a PO, the, the PO system, however you have it. And it may not be Maximo or your EAM. It may be PeopleSoft or it may be yep. uh, SAP or it may be, you know, an accounting software, uh, QuickBooks, whatever. In order to get it there, you have to identify what that scope and that quote is going to be, how much it is, obviously. Um, but then, like, making sure that it follows the paces so that, you know, once it gets past a certain point of, you know, uh, substantial completion, okay, do I pay out a certain amount, say 80%? Um, when do I make the final payment so that we can say, okay, everything's been inspected? You know, that that's a, a fine line to look at as far as the schedule. And, and you have to rely on the contractor to fit that as well so that you get the information back from them. Um, one of the things I, I suggest to a lot of people when I talk to them about this is make sure that there's a, you know, within your map, there's a spot where you say, okay, I need all the information from this job that the contractor had, and you get it all before you make the final payment. And the contractor knows up front, that's exactly what's going to happen. Uh, a lot of times it's just, you know, they're expecting the payment and they didn't realize that you have this in the contract. Um, a lot of people don't read that fine print sometimes. <laughs> yeah, um, for sure. But that's a that's a key component so that you do have that feedback loop to make sure that the PO was dropped properly. They're working off of that. Um, you know, they're getting paid to that and they're supporting it. Um, make sure that that's on the work order. You know, that PO, the requisition number, all that stuff drops into that work order so that at any point in time they 
always have it. Um, and then, you know, my biggest thing is document, document, document. I want every invoice in that work order. I want every change order in that work order. I want everything that's associated with it from the contractor so that I can say, okay, how can we make this better in the future? It may be a different job plan associated with it, with the planner going out and making physical demands of the contractor versus say the manager or the, you know, the maintenance manager or operations manager. Um, it may be your, your director of your maintenance actually going out and saying, look, you need to give me this. Um, so uh, finding good solid contractors is another really good key component. Like, you know, stand up contractors that know the processes, know how you work and get them involved in identifying their part in your process. Okay. This is your piece and show them how that process map works. Um, that's very successful if you do it. I think that's an incredibly interesting topic, Michael, and we are, we are out of time for this episode. Mm -hmm. And so we're going to wrap up, but I think that's a phenomenal topic that we've not yet covered. Um, how yep. to how to vet contractors, how to vet service providers, how to build a partnership and get them to understand how you do business. I think that's an incredibly interesting topic, and I would invite you to come back and talk about that really soon. Definitely. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for your time, Michael. It's been incredibly informative. How can people um, reach out to you uh, or find your videos? Uh, you can go on LinkedIn. Um... Michael Guns Jr. Just type that in. Nine times out of ten, it pops right up. Um, and then I, on YouTube, I've been using the the same type of algorithm support with like planning and scheduling, maintenance, uh, maintenance and reliability. Uh, I have uh, my YouTube channels, Mike Guns Jr., so it makes it really easy. Um, if anybody wants to check it out, I would more than more than happy to see it and. Uh, give you any more information that I can, and I'll put some more stuff out there pretty soon. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for being our guest on Practical Reliability. Thanks for having me. I awesome. Appreciate it. For Michael Guns Jr., I'm George Williams. Go make tomorrow better than today.